episode 92, Sarah Froning Nodarse. Hey, it's Nikki Llewellyn and you're on Gut Plus Science. This podcast is on a mission to increase engagement at work. And on this show, we equip CEOs and people first leaders of all levels to make impact. Let's get to it. Hey, Gut Plus Science listeners, I've got another expert from our partner, The Zone, with me today, my friend, Sarah Froning-Nodarse. Sarah's work in employee engagement goes deep many years in various angles, and as a culture strategist, she's going to share her passion for the topic of employee engagement and package up some new techniques to make impact on helping the humans we lead unlock the highest potential and bring their real, whole self to their work. She's also going to challenge our thinking. I just know it. Welcome to Gut Plus Science. Let's start here. What is the leadership mindset we've got to consider to be able to fully absorb and also want to act on the stuff you're going to share with us today? Well, it's simple. We have to be the change we want to see. And we also have to be the culture we want to live in. So what do I mean by that? At The Zone, we say that the fish rots from the head, which speaks to the importance of leaders providing the inspiration and impetus that change requires or that a culture of engagement requires. Leaders have to walk the talk. But change also requires a grassroots element to succeed. So leaders have to walk the talk, but so does everyone else. And for that, even more importantly, leaders have to listen to the grassroots and to all voices for that matter. That's where innovation comes from. And sometimes the best ideas come from the front lines and leaders have to make space for those voices to be heard. So the mindset shift is about personal responsibility for cultivating collective intelligence, CQ, on your team, and for modeling that behavior throughout the entire organization. So sure, you need a survey to measure engagement, but a survey doesn't create engagement. Leaders create engagement. Just because we do a survey doesn't mean that we're moving the needle. I know you spent many years in the engagement survey world. How do we embed engagement into culture so that we're truly managing what we measure? Right. Well, it's not a check the box. It's a way of being and doing. We treat it like a check the box because we we think we can just do a survey and then act on that data. But I believe that's because we're treating an individual phenomenon like a collective one. We measure and manage to the average rather than learning to actually create it. So the foolproof way to foster engagement in in your culture is for everyone in the organization to learn how to engage. It's simple. Leaders and everyone else too. We all need these facilitative leadership skills. I want to build on what my colleagues at The Zone have talked about on previous episodes. If you remember, Liam talked about using the whole person, which is more than just our heads, but also our hearts and our guts and our imaginations as well. Sebastian talked about handling conflict and feedback. And Emma talked about being vulnerable as a way to speed up innovation. These are all what The Zone calls facilitative leadership skills. So... One skill in particular, self-awareness, that personal responsibility I talked about. This is what leaders need. They need to be able to create that space for voices to be heard and for on-target feedback to be given. If you're a leader, you can learn to model these behaviors and make simple adjustments that have powerful impacts on engagement and performance. If you're an individual contributor, you can also learn simple but powerful adjustments you can make to improve your experience at work no matter where you sit in the organization. But the baseline for being a facilitative leader is personal responsibility. Engagement and culture start with you, no matter who you are and where you sit in the organization. At The Zone, we use a fishbowl as a metaphor for culture. 
and we tell a story about a bright, happy fish who becomes so jaded by a toxic culture in the fishbowl that he starts complaining until he sees his complaints one day contributing to the pollution and realizes, wow, he's part of the problem. CQ will not appear in dirty water, and all of us need the self-awareness to know when we're polluting the water. Have you ever seen that meme that has two pictures of a person speaking to a crowd, and the person says, who wants change? And everyone raises their hand. And the second person is saying, who wants to change? With nobody raising their hand. So everyone wants change, but not everyone is willing to change. And a lot of times in our organizations, we expect someone else to fix it. You know, your boss or HR or the senior leaders, anyone except you. And this is true for leaders and, and individual contributors also. Waiting for others to act so that things change or so that engagement happens really works. So leadership has to set the course and it's hugely impactful. But we can't depend only on leaders, especially if we want the next great ideas in our organizations. For that, we need the grassroots, and that means everyone. We have to consistently ask ourselves, how can we take responsibility for hearing and valuing all the individual voices on our teams and in our organizations? It starts with ourselves, and it's scientifically proven that we seek out information to prove the assumptions that we already have. Or when we tend to criticize others, it's because it's something that we criticize in ourselves. So given those, we can realize that when we're complaining and blaming, it's a signal that we're missing something. The next time you find yourself in blame critic mode, as we say in the zone, you know, to ask yourself, where can I take responsibility here? What am I not owning? Open your heart to yourself and explore this without judgment. You're a human after all. Your brain does what brains do. So learning to observe your inner critic will give you amazing, empowering insights. So share habits or actions of a leader with strong self-awareness. So a leader with strong self-awareness is somebody who is consistently looking at what are the received ideas? What are the things that you just automatically believe to be true? For example, when you think of top talent in your, in your organization, what do you think of as the characteristics? What does it mean to be a high performer in your organization? And think about what you look at as normal and really try to interrogate all of your assumptions. You have to be willing to admit that you're wrong and be willing to uh, not be right in arguments. I think that's really important. So you're a big believer in facilitative leadership. What is that exactly? So when it comes down to it, it's about relationship skills. Karina talked about this in her, in her podcast, actually. She talked about how relationship skills are hard skills. So we often think of them as soft skills. They're optional, you know, nice to have. But actually, relationship skills are the basic leadership skills. Again. When I say leadership, I mean everyone in the organization. Everyone can be a leader and everyone is responsible for building culture. Uh, we actually created a handout that talks about these facilitative leadership skills. And there's seven, but I want to talk about the second one on the list. It's called Human First, Agenda Second. This year has been so frantic and it's given us the opportunity to actually learn the power of the skill, to put it into practice and to feel how powerful it is. So this skill is putting the human before the agenda. We have to create some space to feel, to share. And one way to do this in your teams is by instituting a process called the check-in. So a check-in is basically a round. And a round just means that it's an opportunity for everyone to speak one at a time, either to download what's on their minds or provide input on a specific question or prompt, such as, how are you coping with current events? And while a person is speaking, Everyone gives the speaker their full attention, and you listen with the whole person. You listen not just with your head, but you listen with your heart, 
and you listen with your full attention and you don't interrupt. Even if you have a lot to do as a team, you start off by making this human connection because once you do that, everything else will flow easier. So you, you slow down a little, but you speed up. If you think about the typical workplaces that you go into or virtually zoom in with right now, all these different organizations and where most leaders are challenged by basic things that aren't allowing them to really connect, like really build that human relationship. What are just two to three things that are just the basics that a lot of times we overlook to really connect and have that human interaction? Well, like I said, you know, think about how to make human connections with your with your team. What are they going through right now? And make the space for them to talk about what, what's going on in their lives. I'm a Gen Xer. And so I was brought up to think you don't bring your personal life to work. But we're in so many meetings. And if we don't, you know, make that space for us to put the relationship before the task, uh, we can easily, easily burn out. We talk about different ways of relating in the workplace. And you can be task oriented or you can be relationship oriented. And obviously, if you're under a deadline, you have something due to a client, you have to sometimes put task before relationship. But if you always put task before relationship, you're going to cause even more burnout than the workplace usually causes. So we can easily remedy this by creating space in every meeting for a little bit of human connection, even if it's just, hey, one word about how you're feeling right now. Many organizations say that they embrace feedback as a norm, but stats don't look real great when you see employee feedback or their answers to surveys on the feedback they receive. So they say they do it, but it's not really sticking. It's not being effective. Let's unpack your knowledge around creating a feedback culture. It's really important for creating psychological safety in organizations, which as we all know, is part of engagement. So feedback, it can be simple. Simple means you can create a a culture where you just deliberately give each other feedback and you say, hey, do you mind if I give you some feedback? And the person says yes. And then if you try to give constructive feedback on a presentation for something, you could say the formula one plus one, one thing you did well, one thing you could have, have done differently. But we also have a system in the zone we call on-target feedback. And on-target feedback, you break it down like this. It's when you did this, what I noticed was this. And I felt this way. And you be honest. And then you talk about the impact. The impact on me was this. And it's important because, and when you talk about it's important because there you want to stand in your common culture, your common values as an organization or as a team, your team charter, if you have one, it's important because one of our values is this. And I feel like this, it didn't really align with that value. So my request is, and you give them a suggestion and that's it. If you get into the habit of doing this, and especially if leaders can get into the habit of accepting feedback from others, that becomes safer for people to sort of do it on a more regular basis. Sebastian talked about creating a culture where it's okay to give feedback, not only on the what, the content of what you did, but also on the how, which is the human side of it. It's the doing and the being. You give feedback on the thing they did, but also you know, how they were when they did it. And it's important to give feedback on that too, because that, that's what's in line with our values. That's what I'm talking about when I'm saying we're all responsible for creating culture. You spend a lot of your time today in diversity and inclusion work. How do we really create workplaces and teams where all voices can be heard? So I'm an anthropologist by training. So I know a lot about culture and 
A lot of us don't really understand what culture is, but it's just basically our human operating system. You know, we come out of the womb and we know how to do very few things. And most of what we learn comes from culture, right? And so our culture is what we think normal is. And it's really important that people take the time to understand what cultural competence is, which cultural competence just means the ability to navigate cultures that are different from you. And a culture is values and behaviors that are learned and shared by a community. So when you think of culture in that way, and you think of the fact that values and behaviors is the being and the doing, right? So a lot of times we interpret people's behaviors by our own values, so by our own being rather than their values. So cultural competence is being able to recognize that and being able to put different values on behaviors and understand that that people demonstrate their values by a range of different kinds of behaviors. And we're constantly doing this in the workplace. That's why we need to be self-aware uh, because we're giving feedback. We're getting into conflicts and we're working with other people on teams. So we have to be able to interpret people's behavior from different standpoints. And so it's important that, that we're able to listen to another's perspective without judgment and without imposing what we think is normal on their lived experience. That's another good thing for leaders to do. Examine your cultural lenses. What are the things that you think are normal? And how do you demonstrate those norms and your values through behavior? So since it is such a hot topic right now with uh, inclusion at the forefront, what would be just a couple of suggestions you have as actions that they could take to build a more inclusive culture? The first thing is to ask yourself the question, as an organization, who do you want to be? And then look at who you are and then plot a path for closing that gap. It also comes with looking at who's in your organization. If you're saying that you want to get the best talent, which I think we're all saying, then you are going to need diversity. And if you want diversity, then you're going to have to look outside your same old, same old channels for talent. So ask yourself, who's in your trusted circle? Who are the t 10 people that you go to? for advice in your organization? Who are the 10 people you'd tap for a high visibility internship? And if it's someone who looks and is like you culturally, then consider that you're looking through your own cultural lenses. You're looking through your own received ideas of what's normal and what's top talent. We all do that. doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means you're human. It just means that you are operating in the same system as everyone else. So Sarah, you and I work in employee engagement every day. We've done it for quite a few years. You see every day on calls and all the years you've worked in organizations where people are doing things that check the box stuff that they don't even know is the check the box stuff. Is there something that we could wrap with that's really your call to action on moving from the check the box to the needle mover stuff? Before you think about how you're going to measure engagement, think about how you're going to engage. And that means putting people first, and it means making relationships and people a priority. I have been in corporate America in a consulting role for 20 years, and it's pretty rare to see an organization that really, truly practices what the leaders say th that they want to be. It goes back to what I said before. Who do you want to be? Take the time and invest the resources to work on who you want to be. What's your mission? What's your purpose? What's your vision? And not only develop the strategies for how you're going to achieve that vision, the what you're going to do, 
but also the how you're going to do it. And that's, that's the culture part. That's the people. I love that advice. And I loved having you on the show today. We're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsor message today, which is actually The Zone, uh, our partner on the show. We're going to come back to our lightning round where we'll get to learn just a little bit more about you, Sarah. We'll be right back. If you know me, you know how important it is for me to get fired up and get myself in the zone. When you're at your best, feeling positively challenged and energized, time flies and things just flow. One of our partners on this show is called The Zone. They're a perfect partner because they help you and your team crush your goals by unlocking the obstacles holding you back from getting well and in the zone. And as a special offer for just you listeners, they're offering 10 free coaching sessions on how to unlock the power in your team. So you can claim your spot, grab one of those 10 spots at www.thezone.co forward slash gut science forward slash coaching. That's going to be available in the show notes. All right, we're back on Gut Plus Science. Sarah, we're super excited to uh, learn just a little bit more about the personal side of you, the human side of of Sarah with these lightning round questions. So my my first question is your favorite book of all time or uh, a favorite recent read that you think our leader, listener, audience would be interested in? I could never choose a favorite book of all time. So I will tell you a book that I think is really insightful right now. It's called How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi. Sarah, how about a favorite hobby when you're not working? I live by Lincoln Park in Chicago, so I am constantly walking by in the nature areas and by the lake, and I'm a nature buff. And Sarah, when you're not in Chicago, where do you love to vacation? Sanibel Island in Florida. I've been going there for almost 20 years, and it's magical. And then Sarah, what's the best way for our listeners to connect with you after the show? Well, you can email me at sarah.froning, F-R-O-N-I-N-G at thezone.co. All right, here's my truth you can act on today from Sarah Froning, no Darcy. Number one, slow down. Humans first means building relationships and slowing down to truly connect is such a great reminder. Be self-aware of what you know you can do and be better at and be intentional with it. Number two, make feedback a simple habit versus a check the box. Find opportunities to give feedback right away and try that descriptive process that Sarah shared, especially tying in the how you felt and why it's important. The key thing here is making feedback a habit in real time. Number three, in order to make the best decisions on the how and the what you will do to move the needle on employee engagement, you've got to get really clear on who you want to be. So create a vivid vision of who you want to be And it helps you make decisions on the best action steps to take. We'll see you next time. We just left the world a little bit better. Now go do something with it.